0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a look at the election on the local and national levels, a new book from a local author that will have you thinking about meatloaf in ways you never imagined possible, and local NCAA basketball ref Eric Curry officiates a very special game. But first, the election. I pledge
1: to every citizen of our land that I will be president for all
2: Americans.
1: And this is so important to me.
2: Try to do everything we can so he doesn't destroy the country. <laughs>
3: I'm feeling really excited for our country. I think we needed a lot of change. The health care rates are skyrocketing. And I think it's a new excitement to bring America back to What he said, be great again. I hope that he will be a successful president for all Americans. This is not the outcome we wanted or we worked so hard for.
4: I'll be truthful and say I'm very alarmed and fighting for the future of this country.
0: Well, it's finally over, and it's just beginning. The nation remains divided, and the direction of the country largely up in the air. To help us sort it all out, I spoke with Carleton College political analyst Stephen shear Professor, what happened?
1: Well, I had a sense that something was up in a big way when I got the... Um Minnesota exit polls election night when I was doing uh, campaign coverage for television station, and that, those polls indicated that it was virtually a dead heat between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in Minnesota. More from, moreover, uh, Trump was winning by huge margins in greater Minnesota by 20 to 22 points outside of uh, Hennepin and Ramsey counties. Well, those uh, polls were correct. And uh, you essentially had a conservative wave across the state that uh, made a whole bunch of uh, races um, look a lot better for the GOP than I think a lot of observers had expected before the election day.
0: I think a lot of people were somewhat stunned by the outcome of the presidential election. What, uh, What should Hillary Clinton have done differently?
1: Well, you know, it's very hard to say what could have been done differently on the Democratic side to win the uh, White House. I think that um, uh, obviously the uh, Clinton campaign really couldn't control what was happening with WikiLeaks, but uh, the way the candidate herself handled her emails (laughs) over the last few years uh, was very clearly an unforced error that hurt her campaign considerably.
0: You know, Just a few weeks ago, pundits were speculating about the demise of the Republican Party, or at least it would definitely look a lot different. Now it seems as though they're going to be running the whole show. Does that, does that mean the Democrats have to reassess who they are?
1: Uh, Well, the Democrats have to figure out who their national leaders are, because Obama's exiting the stage. Hillary Clinton won't be running again. Bernie Sanders is 74. So, okay, who steps forward and becomes the national face of the Democratic Party? Um, It's hard to say. It's not obvious right now, and uh, that's a big challenge for the party.
0: Clearly, the country remains divided after the election. Uh, The popular vote was close. In fact, Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote uh, by a narrow margin. Do we need to kind of reevaluate our system, the Electoral College, or not necessarily?
1: Well, I think there'll be concern about the Electoral College, uh, and and that's... Uh, arisen before. You will remember in the year 2000, George W. Bush won the White House while losing the popular vote. Uh, But changing the Electoral College requires a constitutional amendment, and it's very, very difficult to get a constitutional amendment through because you need approval of Two-thirds of the U.S. House, two-thirds of the U.S. Senate, and then majority approval in three-quarters of the state legislatures. That's 34 state legislatures. That's what I would call a big mountain to climb.
0: What does Trump's victory mean, do you think, for Obama's policies and and legacy? It seems as though Trump may uh, overturn a lot of what's happened over the course of the last eight years.
1: Uh, Yes, I think Obama's policies are very much under threat. You're going to see major changes in immigration policy, in tax policy. Uh, The Affordable Care Act will be uh, repealed and replaced with uh, something else. Uh, Foreign policy will take a different direction. So uh, there will be relatively little continuity in national policy between Obama and Trump.
0: In his victory speech, Trump seemed to take a markedly different tone than what much of his campaign rhetoric uh, represented. Which Trump do you anticipate we'll see once he's in office?
1: Uh, You know, it's very hard to say say how Trump will behave as president. But I think the one thing he could do uh, to uh, lessen political divisions in the country would be for him to abandon Twitter forever. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, if we could just switch gears a little bit and talk about Minnesota's uh, congressional races for election night, what what is the overall picture looking like after election night?
1: Well, big surprises... Um there, you know, the 1st District, Tim Walz, the 7th District, uh, Colin Peterson, had very close races that no one expected. I'm sure the National Republicans are wishing they had thrown some money into those races because that might have uh, won them a couple additional uh, seats. Um Uh, Jason Lewis, despite his uh, career as a controversial talk show host, managed to keep the uh, second district in Republican hands. I think uh, uh, another surprise was that Stuart Mills, who was counting on Trump's popularity in the northeastern Minnesota 8th district to carry him to victory, fell uh, just short of defeating uh, DFL incumbent Rick Nolan by about 2,000 votes. And that was a big letdown for Republicans.
0: Well, Professor, as we wrap things up here, let's say for the sake of argument that you are the voice of reason. What do you say to folks out there that are concerned about the future in in what we have uh, is clearly a divided country?
1: Well, I think that people should note uh, the behavior and statements of President Obama and former Secretary of State Clinton yesterday. They were composed and uh, positive about our political system. Both of them understand the sun rises every morning and uh, that uh, America's best days are perhaps ahead of us. So I think people should hold on to those thoughts, uh, particularly those who are uh, concerned about the outcome on Tuesday.
0: Thanks again to my guest, Carleton College political analyst Stephen Sheer. Up next, Bill Werner and what we can expect from the state legislature post-election when Minnesota Matters returns.
3: Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's WE CAN or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Now that we've taken a look at the effect of the election on the national scene, what about state politics? MNN's Bill Werner is here with that. Scott, the key players, of course,
2: are Democratic Governor Mark Dayton, the still Republican-controlled Minnesota House of Representatives, and the soon-to-be GOP-controlled Minnesota Senate. Hamlin University professor David Schultz has some thoughts on that.
5: First comment is, is that we're looking at a situation now where in many ways... Governor Dayton's second term is just about over. He's a lame duck. He's already said he's not going to run for re-election. And with both the House and the Senate um, aligned against him at this point, it's obviously going to be really hard for him to get anything done. And... I think we have to start already thinking even before the session starts at this point is are we now going to be looking at end of May going into June already special session and already thinking about the specter perhaps of of another government shutdown because we have a a, a house that's going to be very conservative um, and we just have all the recipe in the Senate, clearly that's going to be you know quite conservative, the recipe for all the same things that we saw in those first two years of, of, of the Dayton administration. We saw that this past year, we saw that everybody walked into the session this year in 2016 saying, well, we really want to deal with transportation issues. We really want to make this the transportation session. Well, I didn't exactly see that, that emerge then.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And I don't suppose the prospects are a whole heck of a lot better in, uh, in 2017 either.
5: I agree. I mean, if we think about some of the big issues still out there. It's still transportation. Um, it's still infrastructure. We didn't pass a bonding bill this past year. Now we're going to have the, the regular budget session coming up here. I mean, that's an incredible amount to try to get done under any circumstances, and now do that with a divided government the way we have. I can. It, it, it's. It's not too soon to talk about special session right now, and it's not too soon to be starting to think about the fact that we could be heading into that collision course of of shutdown again, um, even though everybody will probably say at the start of the session, oh, no, 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 we're going to work together, we're going to (laughs) cooperate.
2: They I, always do. They
5: always say that. Yeah, it it's right. hugs at the beginning of session, right. and it's fighting at the end of the session.
2: There's at least one other big issue in this, and that is health care. Yes. And and given what's happening in Washington, D.C., in terms of yeah. Minshore and the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, we, we have really the last bastion uh, uh, holding that together in Minnesota is probably Mark Dayton, isn't it?
5: Correct. And, and think about the complexity of this now too, because let's right. say that that on one level, the argument is to say, let's just get rid of mensure and go into the, the, the you know the federal health care exchange. Yeah,
2: but which, uh, that's going to probably be gone too. It's going to be gone, pretty gone ar- too pretty early yeah. on in the Trump administration, isn't it?
5: Correct. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, you're gonna. I mean, first get, 100
2: days. That's probably on his list, isn't
5: it, it? It's gone at this point, and and so we're looking at prospects for how to fix this Minsure to be very, very complicated because yes. you won't have the bailout option, which Dayton raised earlier this year to say, well, the scrap bars go going to the federal. That's not going to be there. Okay, at the state level, um, I don't see a sustainable um, proposal out there right now. You know, his idea for saying we're going to borrow from the Rainy Day Fund to cover some of the premiums, that's at best a short-term Band-Aid fix that doesn't solve the broader problem. And so there's a much more comprehensive fix that needs to be Done out there, and I don't see the the Republican majorities willing to go in the direction of saying let's really fix mensure in the terms of saying let's I don't know make it a single payer option or or anything else. Oh no, so-
2: clearly not. Yeah. what is the possibility, despite all this rhetoric on the part of both camps, Republicans and Democrats, in the last campaign right up to the election, that? They get deadlocked on it because you have a republican controlled house and a republican controlled Senate in Minnesota in the legislature, and you still have a democratic governor.
5: I can see that, that they just punt at this point right. um, maybe maybe they do that, they do, do that short term quick fix again you know, or, or try to do a quick fix and say, okay we're just going to rebate a few people or something like that, um, but given the rhetoric that's out there, you know the look at those very effective ads that the Republicans used in the last week all about saying that um, that we've got to get rid of the Democrats you know, because of you know, Obamacare and so forth like that, and the Affordable Care Act. Um, this is not setting it up as a recipe um, for really doing any kind of real fixes. And I can see them saying, okay, we don't want to handle in budget session because we have enough other stuff to worry about. <laughs> then we get to 2018. Well, that's an election year. Um, no one's going to do something big like that then.
2: So, well, enough said. I, we, we can't really probably say any more than that on it. It's a really big question mark.
5: Yes, exactly.
2: Um, any other th- closing thoughts, Professor?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess what I was going to say is I think now we really need to be thinking about the fact that divided government really is, is is now, I think, part of the political fabric of Minnesota. I mean, we look at the election returns at the presidential level, where it's the closest it's been for Republicans to take this state uh, since since 1984, where, where Mondale barely held on against Ronald Reagan in that landslide year, and so we've really become a a very divided state politically, and the legislature captures that. And what I worry is that we are on the edge of turning into Congress, turning into a Congress where it can't get anything done because of its, its partisan divisions. And I think we are just about at that place also in the state of Minnesota.
2: That's Hamlin University analyst David Schultz. And Scott, just so we don't forget, the opening day of the 2017 Minnesota Legislative Session is only seven, count them, seven weeks away. Thank you, Bill. More Minnesota
0: Matters after this.
4: Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver?
3: This one, Dad?
4: Uh, No, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Uh, because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter.
6: Why?
3: Because I love
6: you!
3: <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact because on a child's life.
7: It gets dirty, okay?
6: All
4: right.
8: <clears throat> now
3: pass me the new
4: filter. Why? <laughs> <laughs> very
3: funny. <laughs> Take time to be a dad today.
4: For more information, dial 1-877-432-3411 or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
9: Sometimes, a simple idea can be developed into something big that can change the world. This is Katy Perry. In fourth grade, my music teacher helped me make a vision board was a collage that represented all of my hopes and aspirations in music. But what if my teacher didn't have the supplies we needed to make our collages? What if I never got the chance to learn and express my dreams? Unfortunately, that's the reality our teachers face every day. They're forced to spend their own money, sometimes just to keep the classroom running. That's why I'm teaming up again with Staples for Students to donate $1 million to DonorsChoose.org. A charity that helps teachers get what they need to bring learning to life for students. DonorsChoose.org has helped fulfill more than 700,000 classroom projects benefiting more than 18 million students. It's an idea that's changing the world. It's easy to help. Donate in Staples stores or learn more at staplesforstudents.org.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There's a new locally published book that focuses exclusively on meatloaf. It's called Think Outside the Pan, and MNN's Tasha Radel spoke with the author. And Tasha, let me first just get this out of the way. I love meatloaf.
10: Scott, I don't think you're alone. I bet it's safe to say majority of Minnesotans like a good old-fashioned meatloaf every now and then. When I think of meatloaf, I imagine a brick-like hunk of meat being popped out of a loaf pan onto the dinner table. That is a vision my guest Minnesota author Carol Falkowski is trying to change. Carol recently released her book, Meatloaf Outside the Pan. Okay, Carol, for those that know you, you've worked many years at different levels as a drug and substance abuse professional. So how the heck did you switch gears and make your world all about meatloaf?
6: Well, this book I wrote and worked on for the past three years is called Meatloaf Outside the Pan. You know, especially here in Minnesota, I think meatloaf is one of the all-American comfort foods, and many people have fond memories of eating meatloaf around the family dinner table. Um, But even though meatloaf tastes amazing, it rarely looks amazing. I believe it's been underappreciated and can do so much better. So I encourage cooks to think outside the pan and discover unprecedented and clever inventive ways to sculpt meatloaf and decorate it with colorful sauces and vegetables and turn it into a stunning dinner entree that people are excited to put on the family dinner table.
10: And when we talk about meatloaf, you, you need to describe some of your masterpieces. I Every day I go to your website to see if there's a new meatloaf picture on there. You've done many from a bumblebee to a beer mug. And uh, just a couple of days ago, I saw uh, you had one of both of the presidential candidates. Tell us a little bit about that.
6: Well, I think once you start thinking outside the pan, I, I, for me personally, I thought writing the book was a way to you know, get all these in one place, and I've really been trying them out on my family and friends for the past three years. But now, ever since I wrote the book, it seems everywhere I look, I see meatloaf. So I've made a beer mug meatloaf. Uh, I call it meat and potato beer, a, a beer that's served warm that everyone can enjoy. I've made a baseball glove that was sort of inspired by uh, watching the World Series, a baseball glove meatloaf with a big round circle of mashed potatoes in the, in the mitt like a ball. And uh, the Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton meatloaf just seemed to be hooked on current events. So uh, for Donald Trump, I added, to get that orange skin color, I added pureed carrots to some turkey, some ground turkey. And for Hillary Clinton, it was chicken with some white breadcrumbs and milk mixed in with the ground chicken. And for her hair, I used mashed potatoes with mustard. And for his hair, uh, which is really his defining characteristic, I used angel hair pasta.
10: It just makes me giggle, and people need to check out your website, outsidethepan.com, dot com, because you have a, a gallery of all these different meatloafs on there. I, I have to ask you, going back to when you had this vision or how it came to you three years ago, what was your uh, first um, outside the pan loaf, and how did that come about?
6: Well, it, it was. Uh Christmas time and my brother and his wife were visiting from out of town and they're staying at my house. So I had to have a big Christmas Eve meal and a Christmas meal. So for Christmas Eve, I thought I'd make a meatloaf. Well, I made it in the shape of a circular wreath And then it just looked so plain. I thought, well, what would happen if I stuck green beans in there to really make it look more like a green wreath? And sure enough, I cooked that and, you know, covered the empty spaces with ketchup. So here it was a wreath, and I served potatoes in the middle, and it sort of took off from there. I think it's also interesting that, and I just thought of this the other day, when I wrote my first book, which was a reference book on drugs of abuse called Dangerous Drugs, I went to a book signing at a bookstore, and I was all excited. This was back in the year 2000. And I had a table set up, and there were chairs, and, and all of a sudden a woman approached, and I thought, oh, this is my big break. You know, she's going to ask me about my book, and I, get, I had signed copies and everything. And she came up to me, and she said, excuse me, dear where are the cookbooks? And I, and I wonder if, you know, subliminally, I've been thinking about that all these years. So that sort of helped me write a cookbook now, too. I don't know.
10: And, you know, I have to ask you, do you use a, a particular or a specific um, meatloaf recipe?
6: Yes, you know, I, I do. And my recipe is in the book, and it's half ground beef and half Italian sausage. I really like that recipe. It's, it's flavorful and some tomato sauce. Uh, but I also know that everyone who loves meatloaf, most everyone I've talked with, also has their own favorite meatloaf recipe. So I encourage people to use that favorite meatloaf recipe. But when they're at the point where it's all mixed and it's in the bowl and they're about to plop it into a loaf pan, to resist that urge. This book is really about taking that meat mixture and just with a little more effort, shaping it into fun shapes that you can decorate with sauces and vegetable and turn into a stunning main course. So I I encourage people to use their own recipes, but certainly I have my favorite recipe in the book.
10: To check out some of Carol's meatloaf master loaves, head to her website, OutsideThePan.com. Back to you Scott.
0: Thank you Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
7: Technology moves at the speed of innovation and today that's lightning fast. So when you get your hands on the latest tech, don't forget to do the right thing with your old devices. Recycle them. The Consumer Electronics Association and its members are making recycling your old tech device as easy as purchasing new ones. Just go to greenergadgets.org, type in your zip code, and you'll instantly find the responsible recycling location closest to your home. You'll also find lots of tips to simplify your recycling, like asking the store where you buy your new TV if they'll haul away your old one. Television sets, video game consoles, smartphones, tablets. They're all recyclable. Don't let them clog up your local landfill. Just visit greenergadgets.org. You're sharp enough to get the latest tech tools into your home. Now be responsible enough to get your old devices to the recycler. That's greenergadgets.org.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. MN M&M Sports Director Mike Grimm has a special segment this week about an event taking place this Veterans Day weekend in Honolulu. It'll feature a Minnesotan in a unique way.
4: Eric Curry's full-time job is as an executive at Sun Country Airlines in the Twin Cities, but he's very passionate about his other job as an NCAA Division I men's basketball referee. He officiates games all winter long in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, and the Big Sky Conference, among other leagues. But this weekend will be one of his most special assignments ever. He'll work a game on Veterans Day near Pearl Harbor. I sat down with Eric Curry at Williams Arena earlier this month and ask him about this weekend... In Hawaii.
8: I was very excited when it came across, but um, uh, they've gone the last several years, have started doing some things in honor of uh, Veterans, uh, Veterans Day, and Armed Forces. And so they call it the Armed Forces Classic, and there's a doubleheader uh, that'll be played uh, in Hickam Air Force Base, uh, right next to Pearl Harbor. Uh, they're going to set up a floor out there and um, uh, invite all the servicemen and women to come. And uh, the doubleheader is uh, Arizona and Michigan State in the first game, and Kansas and Indiana the Second game, so two of the four of the top what 12 teams in the country. It should be great for our servicemen and women, and and what a what an opportunity to spend uh, Veterans Day at uh, at Pearl Harbor um, as the 75th anniversary of that event.
4: You'll have one of those two games, and you'll also do some other stuff. I think you said you wanted to take in some of the history of the whole weekend.
8: Oh, no question. We're going to go uh, get up early and go to Pearl Harbor uh, and observe uh, Veterans Day uh, at Pearl Harbor that morning. Uh, our, our the six guys that are refereeing, uh, various number of guys, guy from uh, Indiana, we're from all over, Denver, West Coast. Uh, but uh, we're going to all be uh, united that day, and, and uh, it's going to be a really special event.
4: And congratulations are in order for you too. I hear on a personal level, you uh, you're going to be a, a dad soon. <laughs>
8: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to hard to believe that uh, an older guy like me can uh, um, uh, have that opportunity. But you know, my wife and I are uh, really excited about that, and and uh, hopefully, um, um, uh, uh, boy or girl, uh, they'll look like her and uh, and swing the golf club and shoot the basketball like her.
4: And of course, for those that don't know, Kelly Roysland, the former golfer star player who played both basketball and volleyball here, and probably could have been a golfer or any other sport, uh, is your wife, and I know you're uh, proud of all that she done here
8: uh, in Minnesota. She's uh, she's done a uh, well. She's had a great career here, um, and like you said, she was probably um, she's a great basketball player. She was probably even a better volleyball player. Um, and and now um, uh, judged by my record uh, playing golf with her uh, over the course of our marriage, uh, I'm about uh, two and twenty-five. So um, no, she's a very good golfer. But you know, she's done a great job with the McAllister program. Uh, after leaving uh, here when, uh, when Pam left and at uh, Minnesota and, and uh, she's done a great job over there. It's a t- tough place to recruit, uh, a tough place to recruit, but at the same time, uh, you know, she's got outstanding young women and uh, she's l- doing a great job leading them. Let's
4: uh, chat about your career. When did you get into officiating? How many years is this now for you at the uh, Division One level?
8: Wow, uh, this is um, this is my 17th season in Division One. I. Um, I got into refereeing because it's my college work study job, and uh, so I decided that uh, going and refereeing um, uh, fourth and fifth grade games at uh, in the Spring Lake um, Spring Lake League outside of Lincolnshire, Illinois was uh, was better than uh, babysitting and doing other things to make money and uh... they gave us fifteen dollars a game for three games cash and that was good date money uh... back uh... back when i was in school and and uh, just had you know uh... loved it and um... uh... ended up um, uh... Uh, getting into uh, high school basketball in several of the places I lived when I was with Delta um, uh, years ago, as I was kind of coming up through uh, their system. And uh, ended up uh, getting a break and working in the American Basketball League, the old uh, women's pro league that started right, right before the WNBA. Uh, and unfortunately had, had better players, just wasn't well as well-funded. It lasted about three years um, but then uh, made some contacts and got into Division one uh, started in the big Sky conference in 1999 and um, kind of just kind of add, added conferences and I uh, think this is my uh, ninth or tenth year in the Big Ten.
4: What uh, is your favorite place? Do you, you have a favorite arena that you like to go work a game in?
8: Well, there's there's places that are just absolutely intense, and I gotta say, when uh, when things are going good at Minnesota and the place is packed, there's not not a whole lot of better venues than this. Um, but uh, the Breslin Center at Michigan State is awfully awfully good, and they're they're so good every year. Um, I had a chance now to go to to McHale in uh, at Arizona. And, uh, and I've had some great, great games at the pit. So, you know, between those, and, and UNLV is another favorite one just because when you, when you leave, you don't walk out into the cold. It's Las <laughs> Vegas. You know what? But every place is different, and every fan base is different, and uh, every floor is different. I mean, this obviously is very unique here at Minnesota. Um, but uh, it's just been, you know what? I, 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 I can't tell you how, how much I've enjoyed it, and I feel really blessed that I've had the opportunity to do it.
4: That's NCAA men's basketball official and Minnesotan Eric Curry
0: on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.